Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. All right, grab your Bibles, turn with you to Matthew chapter 10, please. Matthew chapter 10. These are the words of Jesus. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Jesus said, if you love your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. If you'll give up your life for me, you'll find it. Lord, I thank you for your word and for your truth, and I pray that you would um, illuminate our hearts and minds today through your spirit. Help us to receive uh, your word, receive your love, receive your power today, and I pray in accordance with James chapter 1 that we not be just hearers of your word, but doers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I believe this is the last message in, in uh, the Love of God series that we've been, uh, we've been doing for several weeks, I don't know, five or six weeks now. Uh, and I'm going to end it today with what might very well be the most important message of the series. It might, once you hear the, the topic today, you might think, well, this is kind of a worn out or obvious topic. But I think it's our familiarity with the topic um, that's caused us to miss a lot of what it really means. So today I want to talk about, in the context of the love of God, I want to talk about what it, what it means to be saved. I want to talk about salvation today. I want to talk about becoming a Christian. What it, what it means to be, not just to become, but to be a follower of Jesus. And I think it's an important message because I don't think the American church has quite nailed the salvation message just yet. When, when I look at what Jesus says about following him... And what the American church says about it, they just don't look the same to me. We're, we're missing something in the way we understand and talk about salvation. And I think maybe the thing that we're missing is love. Amen. It's love. So today's message uh, is called, Do You Love Me More? Do You Love Me More? And it's a message about knowing and following Jesus. So you say, John, shouldn't, shouldn't the message... Shouldn't you call it, do you love Jesus? Isn't that the essence of salvation, that you love Jesus? Well, not according to Jesus. In the passage that we just read, Jesus made it clear, it's not, just enough, it's not enough just to love him. You have to love him more than you love anything or everything else. You have to love him more than you love anyone or, or, or everyone else. Following Jesus isn't just about loving Jesus. It's about loving him more than everything else. And we're going to circle back to this point in just a little while, but it's just, it's too important. This is kind of the point. 
So if you miss everything else, hear that. It's it's too important to to miss. I want to wanted to go ahead and say it right from the top. All right. So now let's let's back up just a little bit. I told you that I'm not sure the American church presents a very biblically sound concept of salvation. And I'm not sure that what we invite people to when we give invitations in our church, I'm not sure that what we invite people to is actually in the Bible. We call it salvation, which just further confuses people because it doesn't match the definition and description of what we see in the Word. We, we teach salvation, and listen, we teach salvation as more of a business transaction than as a covenant relationship. We, we, talk, we talked about this a little bit a, a few months ago in another message, but I think it's important to, to circle back and talk about it again. How many times have you heard invitations like this in your life? Everybody sins, so everybody's a sinner, and sinners are going to spend eternity in hell. So if you recognize that you're a sinner and you don't want to go to hell, the good news is Jesus died so your sins could be forgiven and you won't have to go to hell. So if you want to receive that gift, then pray this prayer with me. Have y'all heard those invitations? Y'all been to church, right? All right. Um, it's, it's not hard to convince most sinners that they're sinners, right? Because most of us carry around some sense of shame or some sense of our own sinfulness. And most people, no matter whether you have a, a religious background or not, most people believe in the afterlife. Something like 85, 90% of Americans believe that there is something after this life heaven and hell. So it's really easy to lead people to the point that they'll pray the prayer. Here's the problem. They don't have any idea who Jesus is. Forget about loving Jesus. They don't even know Jesus. They know that they just know he apparently picked up the tab for our sins and they repeat the prayer so they don't have to worry about hell. They don't want to love and follow Jesus. They just don't want to go to hell. Well, and who does? I mean, nobody wants to. Or how, how about this? Especially at a funeral or a memorial service. Granny's gone. She's gone on to be with the Lord now, and we're sure going to miss her, aren't we? Um, Jesus died on the cross so that he could make a way for you to see her again. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner and ask him to forgive you, and then you can have the assurance that you'll be in heaven with granny for eternity. Y'all heard that? What's the problem with that? So many things. So many things. I don't, I don't even know where to start. In their grief, they didn't hear anything about the cross. They didn't hear anything about sins. They didn't even hear who Jesus is. They heard that if they're willing to admit to being a sinner, which we've already established is pretty easy, and if they're willing to say the prayer, then it's done. They don't have to follow Jesus. They, they, want to, they, they don't want to follow Jesus. They, they want to see Granny again. They don't love Jesus. They love Granny. And I'm not making fun of them. They're, they're drowning in grief in that moment. It's all they can think about. And we exploit their grief to get them to pray the magic prayer that they neither understand nor mean. And so now they're both grief-stricken and deceived about their eternity because now somebody told them they were saved forever. 
eternity with granny. Oh, and Jesus. Right? And we go on and on and on uh, with this, but you, you see the problem, right? It's a business transaction. I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to swap this prayer and maybe a little church attendance and a couple good works so I don't have to burn. I want to see granny again, so I'll admit that I'm a sinner and I'll give props to whoever Jesus is so I can have some comfort in my time of distress and some hope for my future. What's John 3.16 say? It says God sent Jesus into the world to save us because he loves us so much. So when it comes to our, our, our conversations about salvation, where are the calls to receive the love of Christ and to return that love by surrendering your life to him? Why don't we talk about love when we talk about salvation? Loving Jesus makes all the difference. But listen, you can't love him if you don't know him. Why don't we take time to help people get to know Jesus? Why, why, are, why are our britches on fire about getting people to pray the magic prayer? Why, why are we in such a hurry? The, the prayer isn't what saves them anyway. So you can't, it's not magic words. I keep saying the magic prayer sarcastically because we act like if we can get people to say the word, then somehow we've committed God to their salvation. And that's not what the word says. It's not a magic prayer. That's not what say you can't trick somebody into salvation. If they pray it ignorantly, not only are they still lost, but now they're deceived because they think the prayer did the, did the deal. It's a relationship. Isn't, what, isn't that what we always say? It's a relationship with Jesus. So becoming a follower of Jesus is about confessing with your mouth for sure. But that only happens after you believe in your heart. There's a love for Jesus that starts in the heart and then culminates in your confession of love in that prayer. It cannot work the other way. You can't pray your way into loving Jesus. It has to start with love. We've got to give people time to get to know Jesus so they can fall in love with him. And listen, some people fall in love way faster than other people. Isn't that the truth? Don't be pointing. Don't look. Some people fall fast. Some people take it slower. But what difference does it make as long as they wind up in the right place? You're like, but I'm afraid they're going to go to hell before they make the decision. The decision is going to take as long as it's going to take. Just because you rush them doesn't mean that they have a relationship with Jesus. This is a covenant relationship that's established in love. You have to love Jesus before you can be saved. I want to show you a couple of other places that shows the importance of our love and our relationship, or of love in our relationship with Jesus. Let's start in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, we'll read the first five verses. Write this to, this is the words of Jesus. Write this to the letter, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. He's, he's uh, talking to the apostle John on the island of Patmos. And the angel of the church is the pastor. This, this is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. And chapter 1 explains what that means. Jesus says this, I know all the things you do. Jesus talking to the church. I know all the things you do. 
I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Now, can we hang on here? That sounds like a church that you want to be a part of, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like the real deal? Look at verse 4. Jesus said, but I've got this complaint against you. You don't love me. You don't love me or each other like you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me. Do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from among its place, uh, from, from its place among the churches. That's a strong word of rebuke for a church that we were about ready to go join. Right? What did he tell them? You lost your first love. What, what is the first love? It's their love for Jesus. Jesus said, you don't love me or anybody else like you used to. Loving Jesus is important to him. More than serving him or obeying him or worshiping him or giving, him, or giving money to his work. More than anything else. These people clearly had not lost their love for good works. They hadn't lost their love for pure doctrine, even for personal holiness. This is the terrifying revelation, but apparently you can still do all of those outside things with a waning or a non-existent love for Jesus. This church still looked like they were doing it right from the outside, but inside they were fading fast. What Jesus is looking for is a church that loves him. A church that loves him. Look at what Jesus told him. I will remove your lampstand if you don't fall back in love with me. What in the world does that mean? Jesus is saying, I will shut your church down. Not because of obvious moral failure, but because you don't love me like you used to. There is very little in this world spiritually that's more dangerous than somebody who still thinks they're serving Christ but no longer loves Christ. It's a dangerous church to be a part of when the outside still looks okay. But the love for Jesus is growing cold. What what Jesus knows is that when, when love grows cold, moral failure, doctrinal compromise are right around the corner. You've got to love Jesus to be saved. And you've got, that love has got to remain hot for the remainder of the relationship. Here's the second place I want to show you, and that's in John 21, verses 15 through 17. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed 
my sheep. See, after Jesus was arrested, Peter denied he even knew Jesus three times. So in this passage, Jesus was restoring the relationship with Peter, reestablishing Peter's call to apostolic ministry. But notice, he didn't ask Peter if he still believed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, like Peter had declared just a couple years earlier. He didn't ask about Peter's lifestyle, didn't ask about his his background or his training. He simply said, do you love me? It's the first, not the only, it's the first and most important requirement for service and certainly the first requirement for salvation. And here's why. Because if you, if you love, you're going to obey. If you, that's what Jesus said. If you love me, you keep my commandments. If you love, you're going to serve. If you love, you're going to follow. If you love, you're going to give. If you love, you're going to love others. You cannot have a relationship with Jesus that's established on anything other than your love for him. And so I have to ask you today, and you don't have to answer out loud because I'm not trying to start a pep rally. I'm trying to show you a spiritual reality and an eternal necessity. So here's the question. Do you love Jesus more than everything else? And if you don't love Jesus, and if you never did love Jesus, then I would suggest to you that perhaps you've never even been saved. You say, John, are you telling me that I have to love only Jesus in my life? Well, goodness, no. There's a lot of things in your life that you should love. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't, he, he doesn't ask you to only love one thing or one person. As a matter of fact, he demands that you love everybody. But what Jesus expects is that we love him more than anyone or anything else. You remember our opening scripture? If you're going to follow me, you have to love me more than mother or father, more than son or daughter, more than riches, more than status, more than comfort, more than possessions, more than your own personal safety, more than your goals and dreams and aspirations. The the call is to love Jesus more than any other thing. Now, how did Jesus say we were supposed to love God? He said, you love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. What does that mean? That means you give him everything. You don't hold anything back. Following and loving Jesus means an automatic yes before you even hear the question. The word no gets removed from your vocabulary when it comes to, when it comes to Jesus and doing his will. A few years ago, around Valentine's Day, uh, I preached a message. It was one of my favorite messages that I've ever preached. It's called, um, I Don't Do Feet. Some of you were around for that. Uh, it, it was based on the oft-repeated statement from the early part of our marriage. Uh, Valerie, like many of you weirdos, likes to have her feet rubbed. Please don't raise your hand, because I may never shake your hand again. Um, she loves to have her feet rubbed. And my response was always the same. I don't do feet. Um, which seems perfectly reasonable to me. Over the years, though, I came to realize that in a loving and committed relationship, 
your love for the other person helps you get past a lot of your hang-ups and your preferences that may once have held you back. In other words, I grew up. I grew up and got over myself. It came down to this, do I love her or not? Boy, that's a lot. You're making a lot out of feet, aren't you? Yeah, well, do I love her or not? I love her more than I love my own preferences. And so I did what any reasonable husband would do. I went and got a towel, put it over that foot. Then maybe less than enthusiastically, I rubbed her feet. And I'm happy to report now I no longer have to get towels. I just get right on in there and then immediately wash my hands. All right? Her feet are happy and I'm still alive. Okay? Everything's fine. Why? Because I love her more than I love myself and my weirdness. All right? Y'all all weird about something too. Don't act like you don't. What God is calling us to. No, what God is giving us the chance to do is to have a relationship with him that's not built on a business transaction like earthly love. It's not built on some mutual interest. It's simply, totally, completely built on love. His love for us already transcended all the logical barriers when he sent Jesus to die for us. To have the chance to love him back is an incredible privilege. But make no mistake, it's not payback. Because that's not possible. Loving Jesus should be the easiest, most obvious, most logical response in the world. To know him is to love him. Or at least that should be the case. But other things beckon to us, don't they? Other things compete for that love that we should have for Jesus. Let me show you 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. 2 Timothy 4. Demas, this is the apostle Paul. Again, we've established a long time ago, Paul sort of flunked out of charm school. He just says it. And he said, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. And he's gone to Thessalonica. He went on this trip with Paul supposedly because he loved the Lord, but apparently he loves the things of the world more. Right? 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Some people love Jesus and they love money. They just love money more. Right? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Don't love the world or anything in the world. He's not talking about people. He's talking about the world system and the way they do things and the things they offer. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in them. For everything in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
there's lots of things that call to us to love them more than we love Jesus. They satisfy for a few moments, but then they leave us empty. We have to love Jesus more than what our eye sees, more than the, what the world can offer, more than what the flesh desires, more than financial gain can give to us. We've got to get to know Jesus enough to recognize who he is and how valuable our relationship with him is, how valuable it is to know Jesus. I'm going to show you two scriptures that help you understand this. Philippians 3 in verse 8. Paul says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counted it as garbage, which may be a very polite rendering of what that word actually is, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law Rather, I've become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Matthew 13, verses 44 and 45, two really fast parables that Jesus told, one, only one verse long. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure a man discovered hidden in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again. Then he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And it should have gone on to verse 46. And Robbie, I don't know if you can show that fast enough. That's my fault. I didn't put the scriptures in right. Verse 46 of uh, Matthew 13. And if he can't, if he can't, yeah, there it is. When he discovered a pearl of great price, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. We have to recognize the infinite value of knowing Jesus. We have to be savvy enough to know what we're looking at. When this man found treasure in the field, he understood that the value of that treasure was so much more than anything it would have cost him to buy the field. So he went all in to buy the field. When the merchant found the pearl of great price, he recognized there was nothing else that was going to compare to that pearl. So he went all in. He sold everything in order to have it. See, Jesus didn't buy into the American way of salvation. He said, if you're going to follow me, you better count the cost. He said, you need to see if you've got what it takes to endure to the end. You need to decide if you're going to be willing to deny yourself Take up your cross and follow me. You need to decide if you're gonna if you're gonna love me more than everything and everybody else who's competing for your attention. Do you know what it takes to follow Jesus like that? Love. You have to love him. And you have to love him more than you love anything and everything else. For decades, the American church has tried to get people to change their lives by pointing out their flaws in the word. Like, we got a scripture for everything, right? We say, but well, the Bible says you shouldn't do that. And I get that. And there's a place for that in its, proper, in, in, in its proper confines. And we should definitely align ourselves with the word of God. That's not what I'm saying at all. But listen, it's not going to necessarily motivate people to change. 
Does making something illegal mean people are going to quit doing it? Like, don't they put right there on the side of the road how fast you're supposed to go? And do any of us pay attention? No, because we're going so fast we can't read the sign. Making it illegal does not mean people are going to quit doing it. So what if we changed, what if we changed how, we, how we talk about holy living? The church has been, has been scared to talk about love as the motivation for following Jesus. Because it, that, but that's because they don't understand love. The love of God is not weak. It's not touchy-feely, squishy. The love of God is the most powerful, transforming, sobering, life-changing force that you're ever going to encounter. It's not license to sin. It's power to change. See, I think eventually people just get tired of following rules. Right? And some of y'all just like popped out, um, motivated to just break rules. Some of y'all just like it. Don't you? Just like if, you, if I give you a rule, you just feel obligated to break it. Isn't that right? That's kind of natural for most of us. It's easy to break a rule because it's impersonal. Followers of Jesus have to consider what happens to him when we do something that they know Jesus is opposed to. Is that how you treat somebody you love? What happens in a relationship in the relationship with Christ when those lines get crossed. There's a line in a John Legend song that's out now that says, is what we gained worth what we lost? See, sin is pleasant for, for a moment. It's, it's pleasant for a season. But what's the long-term effect on your relationship with Jesus? What intimacy have you lost with him? What, what connection have you lost? What insights have you forfeited because you were chasing something else? What opportunities have, have you squandered because you loved something else more than you love him? What if we quit saying, because the Bible says so, and we start saying, because I love Jesus? Would that make a difference? Think about it. Hey, you want to go, go out and get drunk tonight? Hey, you want to cheat here or lie there? Hey, you want to get revenge on this person that everybody hates? Hey, you want to talk about this person or judge those people? No, I don't. I can't do that because I love Jesus too much. And it would hurt him. It would ruin our relationship. And I love him more than that. Isn't that so much better than saying... No, but there's a, there's a rule, and I can't break the rule. It's not about rules. It's about your relationship with Jesus. Je- it, it's personal. Jesus is a person. He's a person. So shouldn't following him be personal? The Bible says that when we sin, it's like trampling our feet over the blood of Jesus. It, it's like nailing him to the cross all over again. Sin is a personal offense to a holy God. It's not just a violation of a rule. It's a breach of trust. It's a personal insult. And it damages the relationship. We've got to see salvation as the beginning of a relationship, not a get-out-of-hell-free card. 
We've got to see serving Jesus as a joyful opportunity to let others know how awesome Jesus is, not the obligation to fulfill a contract. We've got to see worship as a personal conversation and celebration, us and the Lord one-on-one. We've got to see holy living as a path to intimacy. We've got to see following Jesus as the outgrowth of a healthy relationship, not just checking off the list of activities that good Christians are supposed to do. Because we've already seen you can check off all the things you want to, but if you don't love Jesus, it ain't working. Corey, come on, man. The love of God gives us the ability to love ourselves and love others, right? We started the series with that. It levels the playing field, gives all of us our value and our worth, but it's love, it's our love for Jesus that should motivate everything in our lives. If there's anything else at the foundation, your foundation is going to crumble. But loving Jesus more than you love anything else that vies for our attention is the key to a lasting and fulfilling relationship that will last for eternity. So let me ask you one more time today. Do you love Jesus more than anything else? You say, John, listen, you, do, you, do you realize how intimidating this is? Yeah, <laughs> I do. You know how many times I've asked myself a question this week? Cutting my grass yesterday going, do I love you, Lord? Do I love you more than everything else? Do I love you more than being a pastor? Do I love you more than, ser- than serving you? Do I love you more than a lifestyle? Do I love you more than a position? It is intimidating. You say, God, uh, John, how do, I, how do I love Jesus like that? If I'm a sinner when I come to him, how, do I, how can I really love him? Or, or if I've been following Jesus for a long time, how can I make sure I'm not losing my love for him? Romans 5, verse 5, says the, the only way that we can love the Lord with the love that, that he wants from us comes from the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit puts the love of God into our hearts. See, that's the incredible thing about God is he never requires, he never demands anything of you that he doesn't equip you for. So the love that we need for Jesus can only come from the Holy Spirit. When his spirit convicts us, he equips us to love him. He gives us what we need to connect with Jesus. And when we surrender our lives to him in salvation, when we choose to follow him, his Holy Spirit continues to give us the ability to love him more and more so that we decrease and he increases. So here's what we can all do. Every day, we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with love for Jesus more than anything or anybody else. And then ask him to help us walk in that. Y'all stand with me, please. We're going we're gonna to pray, um, and then they're going to sing one more song. And I'd like for everybody just to stay in, in your place if you could. If you've got an emergency you need to go out for, that's fine. But this is a sacred moment. So we don't come. Uh, the preaching of the word is not for entertainment purposes. It's to challenge us with the truth 
and then give us a chance to respond. And that's what this moment is. It's a chance to respond, not to what I say, but to what the Word says. What the Lord says. And so we're going uh, to pray. And this altar is open. It's always open. And you can come and you can respond um, to this message with the Lord. You can ask yourself what I've been asking you all morning, what I've been asking myself all week. Do you love Jesus more? Because that changes everything. And I also want to, want to say this to people who maybe this is your first time in church or maybe, maybe you just never heard the gospel presented in this way today. And so I just want to ask you, if you want to surrender your life to a loving God, one who commits himself to you, one who died on a cross to pay for your sins, and one who invites you into relationship with him. And it's not something that he's trying to get something out of you. He gave you everything you need. Anything we can give back to him came from him in the first place. So it ain't like that. It's nothing like your relationship with your earthly father because he's just so much more than that. If you recognize your need to surrender yourself to that kind of, to that kind of relationship, then I'd love, to, I'd love to talk to you about that. You come on down here and we'll, and we'll pray together. And you can surrender your life to Christ today. And if there's anything else that's going on in your life, you've got a need, you've got a physical need in your body that needs healing, you've got something going on in a relationship, you've got a decision to make, whatever, you're struggling in your mental health, whatever it is that's going on, then you come down and we'd love to pray with you about that, okay? Let's pray now. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you love us. It doesn't make sense. We don't understand it. We can't wrap our brains around it. But you love us anyway from the beginning. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to respond to that love uh, with, with love right back to you. I pray, Lord, that you convict us of sin. I pray, Lord, that you show us the things in our lives that are separating us from you things that are hurting you and causing you pain and grief. God, I just pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, that you would give us the, the love that we need so that we can love you the way you need to be loved. God, I just pray that you'd baptize us in your love and your power and your goodness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.